thankful to come to church and see how God's working through our folks. That's a blessing. Second Samuel 5 tonight. And I want you to scroll down with me to verse 22. Second Samuel 5. Now look around. If your neighbor next to you doesn't have a Bible or not sure where Second Samuel's at in the Old Testament, would you share your Bible with them? We have guests and visitors here tonight, so I want to make sure that they don't feel lost and write in it with us tonight. First Samuel 5, notice verse 22. And the Philistines came up yet again and spread themselves in the valley of Rephium. When David inquired of the Lord, he said, Thou shalt not go up, but fetch a compass behind them and come upon them over against the mulberry trees. Let it be when thou hearest the sound of a going in the tops of the mulberry trees, that then thou shalt bestir thyself. For then shall the Lord go out before thee to smite the host of the Philistines. And David did so as the Lord had commanded him. And he smote the Philistines from Geba until thou come to Gezer. Father, tonight we have so many things to bring before you. Of course, this evening we lift up uh, Mr. Danny Moy, Phil's father. Right now we're not sure, but he could be right now dwelling in the valley of the shadow of death. We pray for special grace for him. We ask, God, in your mercies that you would uh, sustain this dear man. And we pray for your strength to be made perfect in this time of weakness. And, Father, we pray you'd be pleased to give him back all his normal activities of daily living, his abilities, and that, Lord, he not have any impairments of any kind. We pray right there, God, in that emergency room where he's at right now, that the power of the Lord would rise up in that room and show he and uh, Mrs. Moy and other relatives there that God, you're on the throne. We pray for, for Phil and Elaine right now. I know that there's a myriad of things going through their heart and great, great stress and consternation. We pray that the peace of God, which passes all understanding, rule their hearts and minds right now. God, we pray for our teen camp that's tomorrow. And for Brother Miller, would be flying in from, uh, from uh, Mississippi. Use this good man of God. Uh, Lord, you've given him the voice, the, the, you've given him the ability to catch the hearts of young people during this generation. And I pray for this dear preacher that you'd use him to touch hearts. And we pray for our young people and our vehicles to get there safely, as well as the other campers coming from other churches. And we pray in a powerful way that, Lord, there'd be life-changing decisions that you'll give. And even use the time to refresh our youth workers, Pastor A.J. and the youth workers. They go in and may their hearts be refreshed and encouraged from the preaching of the word. Tonight, Lord, we thank you for a good day we've had in church and how we've been blessed through the ministry of Heartland Baptist Bible College this morning as their ensemble sang. And, and yet, Lord, as the Word of God was open today, many of us may never remember who spoke, but we will remember something that was said. And we pray this morning that God, that, that what was preached this morning will change our lives and give us much to, to consider for the days ahead. And then tonight as we assemble here, we need our souls fed. We need a replenishing. Even as, God, you told David to wait for the, for, to hear the sound of the going in the mulberry bush, I pray that you give understanding to this entire passage of Scripture, its application to the Christian life. And even as you told da David, as you hear that sound, you must bestir thyself. And tonight we need to bestir ourselves. We need to come to the place of decision the place of diligence and eagerness, the place, dear God, where we are moved to action for your glory. Help us to be reminded tonight that Jesus is coming soon. The Lord, we know it's coming. It could be in any moment. We're to look for the blessed hope and the glorious spirit of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And tonight I pray, regardless of how weary our bodies may feel, no matter how burdened we may feel about our uh, this situation we have to face tomorrow, we need to hear from you tonight. We need something fresh that will help us to go on in the Christian life. 
Lord, give us a teachable heart and spirit. We pray as the word of God's preached, sanctify us through thy truth. Thy word is truth. We pray tonight that, Lord, you'd activate us. May even be this evening, you'd call a man to the ministry. May it be tonight that we'd hear decisions like Tony did to this, brother Tony did when he decided to follow the Lord of scriptural baptism for this coming week and many things like that. And we just pray tonight that God, you'll be glorified through what's said, what's preached tonight. We'll thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. For those of you who are new to our church tonight or new to an evening service, we've been on a series in 2 Samuel 5, and the series is themed, The King is Come. In 1 Samuel, we saw the theme being, The King is Coming. Here in 2 Samuel, The King is Come. The king specifically is David. David's come to the throne, and we're just kind of watching and working our way through this. And chapter 5 is a very pivotal and very important uh, chapter here in 2 Samuel We've looked at the character of Saul. We've seen Saul the, at the end of his throne and how he died for his transgression. We saw how David, the men of Judah, came and they anointed David king over all of Judah. But the kingdom was not altogether as one. The men of Israel still held out. Abner took a man by the name of Ishbosheth, who was one of Saul's sons, and made him a puppet king. Not long after that, Abner realized he'd been following the wrong king for 42 years. He'd been following Saul, in spite of the fact Saul was not the right king. He'd been following Ishbosheth for two years and realized after two years, Ishbosheth was the wrong king. He realized he'd been following the wrong king, but he got it right before he died. He got it right, realized that David needed to be right king, made, gave his pledge to David, and realized he needed to follow him. Not long after that, Joab came along. The treachery of Joab is written all through Second Samuel. And Joab, he killed Abner. In spite of that, uh, David could say that his hands were clean from the blood of, of Abner as far as the death of Abner. And he eulogized him and gave great memorial to, to the life there of, of, of Abner there. We saw him in between all that. One of, the, one of the brothers of Joab, Asahel, who represents a man who was swift in his running, who chased after him. Abner had killed him. And Asahel, we, we saw him. We, we did a character study on him a little bit there. And then last time we were in this chapter, in chapter 4, in the previous chapter, chapter 4, we saw two of the captains of the bands of Saul who, who killed Ishbosheth. And we just saw a subject there about this matter of submission and wrong submission, right submission. And now we're in chapter 5. In chapter 5, there's several things going on here tonight, and I just want to start from verse 1, if you'll follow me this evening, because we just need to start with verse 1 and kind of understand everything that's unfolding here in this chapter. Notice, first of all, as we get into this chapter tonight in verse 1, we see a consolidation. In verses 1 to 3, Abner's dead. The people of Israel are a little bit shocked. They're not sure what to do. But what Abner started in motion, he used his influence to move the people of God towards David. We find all of Israel comes to David. Notice verse 1. Then came all the tribes of Israel to David unto Hebrons and spake, saying, Behold, we are thy bone and thy flesh. All of Israel finally came and pledged themselves to David. David had been king for seven years in Judah. Now all of the kingdom would be united. We read in verse 4, he was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned for 40 years. Verse 5, he reigned over Judah for seven years and six months, and over Jerusalem he reigned 30 and three years over Israel and Judah. What a wonderful thing that the kingdom was consolidated. The kingdom had become one. I remind you tonight in Ephesians chapter 4, we hear these beautiful words that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus. A church that was comprised of Jews and Gentiles. 
Poor and rich, male and female. It's a church that had a lot of lot of different people that made it up, and they were having some difficulties in realizing they were one in Jesus Christ. And the Bible says this: I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the Lord, of, uh, uh, walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you've been called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, even as you're called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who's above all and through all and in you all. The church is one body. We come together as one body. Now tonight we've got different people who speak different languages, different backgrounds, but tonight we're one church. We're one body. We're here together to worship one God. We have one Lord, one Father, one body. We don't have a different God in one department, a different God in another department. It's not just a teenage ministry. It's not just a college ministry. It's not just a single adult ministry. It's not just a Chinese-speaking ministry. It's not just an English-speaking ministry. It's not just a Spanish-speaking ministry. It's none of that. We are one body in Jesus Christ. Now, thank God we can minister to all these different groups by language or by life stages. But tonight, we are here as one church united. Together. And what a wonderful thing was when all the tribes of Israel came with humility, meekness of heart, lowliness of mind. They came to David the Hebron and they said, we are thy bones and thy flesh. Now they had a maybe somewhat of an idea of what Jesus would speak about or Paul would speak about that, that the church is the body of Jesus Christ. The body must be cohesive. The body must be consolidated. The body must be one. Every member is to strive together for the faith of the gospel. Every member is to rejoice in the victories of the church, regardless of what they may be. I'm thankful tonight. Yesterday we had two young ladies who went out, a seasoned soul winner that's married, and a, and a, and a, and a, and a growing soul winner that's a, that's a teenager. They went out together and gave the gospel to a, an older lady, and that older lady trusted Jesus Christ, her Savior, and committed to coming to church. We've had reports like that all through the week. I'm thankful this past week we've had a number of folks that worked over the last several weeks and just inviting folks to come to the kids' camp. I'm thankful mothers and fathers and people who brought their children, and they stayed and lingered behind, and we got a chance to preach the gospel to them during this week on at least two occasions. I'm thankful for mothers that trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior. It didn't matter what language they spoke. It didn't matter what their background was. What really mattered is they realized that Jesus Christ is the bond that brings everybody together. Amen. And we're thankful tonight as we look at chapter 5, verse 1 of 2 Samuel, we see a consolidation in the Israel. This was so important for the blessing of God to be on them. But notice something else as we move along. In verse 2, we see a confession. Notice the people say this as they come from Israel. Behold, we are thy bone and thy flesh, and in Time passed when Saul was king over us. Thou was he that led us out and brought us in Israel. And the Lord said to thee, Thou shalt feed my people Israel, and thou shalt be a captain over Israel. We see a confession by these elders. We see a confession by the leaders. You know, in the Christian faith, there are two kinds of confessions you're going to make tonight. Number one, there's the confession for salvation. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 says, That thou shalt confess with thy mouth, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thy heart that God is raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Now here tonight, if you're not 100% sure you're going to heaven, you're not, you're not born again into the family of God. The Bible says, except a man be born again, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. You're not sure you're saved. You're not sure you're under the blood like the teenager sang about tonight. You need to get saved tonight. And that salvation comes by confessing that Jesus Christ died for your sins and he rose again from the dead. I love the old, old story. I love preaching the gospel. I like telling people about the Lord. I'm thankful this is a church that tells people about the Lord. Amen. I'm thankful we have ministries that 
revolve around this matter of preaching the gospel. But your first step in confession is confessing Jesus Christ as Savior. You don't need to go through a booth. You don't need to go through a room. You don't need to go through man. We have one mediator between God and man, and that man is Christ Jesus. Amen. So there's a confession to salvation, but live for salvation. But notice there's a confession of our salvation. Matthew 10, 32. After you get saved, after you get saved, now we are to be confessing Christ all the time. These precious believers we ratified into membership made a confession of their salvation. When they stood inside that baptismal water, they said, I know Jesus Christ as my Savior. I've received Him. And there's no other way to heaven except through Christ. And Jesus said this in Matthew 10, 32. Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. I want to urge you tonight, be here on the on the August 19th, so many marathon, and give whatever time you can to help us. And if you can just stay and... And for the barbecue luncheon after, that'd be a blessing. But we want to go out and confess who Jesus Christ is. We may want to make a confession of our salvation. We want people to know Jesus is in our heart. So we notice in this passage, we see a consolidation. We see a confession. These people come to David in humility. And they said, you know, we've known all along, there's only one king. And you're the king. And you're the one who said you'd feed us. And you're the one God said that would lead us. And we're making confession about that there. And then notice in verse 3, we not only see a consolidation... We only see a confession, but notice in verse 3 we see a coronation. Now this is important. In verse 3, all the elders of Israel came to the king, to Hebron, and King David made a league with them in Hebron. Now watch this now. The kingdom all ultimately we'll see tonight would be would be changed, it would be transferred, be relocated to Jerusalem. It wasn't Jerusalem at the moment of time. David's down in the land of Judah. David there is in Hebron. David had, had established his kingdom in Hebron because only the men of Judah had come to him. Now watch what happens with these men of Israel. The men of Israel, in verse 3, the elders of Israel, who are the big shots, if you want to call that, or the leaders there, the elders of Israel came to the king to Hebron. Listen, they came to make Jesus, uh, they came to make David the king there. Now watch this tonight. God meets you and I where we are at in salvation. He met Paul on the road to Damascus. He met the Ethiopian eunuch on, as he's down to the Gaza desert. He went, met the woman of Samaria at the well. He met Matthew at the seat of custom. He met the thief on the cross at Golgotha. He met the jailer at Philippi in the jail. God meets with you and me. He transcends himself from heaven's glory. He meets you and I right where we're at, at the point of salvation. But when you get saved, we must meet God where he is at. After you get saved, for him to be king and Lord of our life, you and I need to meet him where he's at. I appreciate what these elders did. These elders met David down there at Hebron. They went to the king and said, and they made their confession. They made their acknowledgement. You are king. Let me tell you tonight, you've got to meet God where he's at if he's going to have control. You've got to meet God where he's at if you want his blessing. You've got to meet God where he's at in order to cleansing and help in your life. And these elders, they met him there. We're to meet God where he's at when it comes to his sovereignty and his lordship. I wonder tonight, are we holding out on God? I wonder tonight if we're too big, if we're too proud or too self-righteous to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. We've got to meet God where he's at. And I'm going to tell you tonight, you're not going to have God's blessing. You're not going to see the consistency of the answers to prayer. You're not going to see God working through your life till you get to the place of meeting God where he's at as king of our lives. We see a consolidation. We see a confession. We see a coronation. But notice, go to verses 6 to 9. We see a conquering. Now, now we see something else here. 
The Bible says in verse 6, And the king and his men went to Jerusalem unto the Jebusites. Now the Jebusites were descendants of Canaan. These were Canaanites. Jerusalem, as we read this passage, was a stronghold of Canaan. Now, strongholds have a great spiritual implication that we need to be sensitive. I'm not preaching about strongholds tonight. But you'll notice here, the Jebusites controlled all of Jerusalem. In fact, they controlled it so strongly. Here's what happened. We go back to the book of Judges. The Benjamites did not eradicate the Jebusites. They fought with them. They won a battle, but they did not eradicate them. And so because they didn't eradicate them, the Jebusites got strong again. And they just they just kind of built some barriers around this, this place. I will call a citadel, a castle, a fortress. And it was almost impossible for anybody to penetrate it. And so watch what happens in verse 6. The king and his men went to Jerusalem unto the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land, which spake unto David, saying, Except thou take away the blind and the lame, thou shalt not come in thither, thinking David cannot come, uh, come in thither. Now what they were doing was mocking David. They'd heard David became king. They saw David come with his men there to this, this area that was called Jebus, if you would, or Zion. And he said, well, listen, you're so weak and you're so incapable, David, that you can't even conquer the lame and the blind. You're so weak, you can't help, you can't conquer those who are disabled. You can't conquer them and you're not going to conquer us. And so David goes forward and the Bible says very simply, verse 7, David took the stronghold of Zion and the same as the city of David. Now David got God's power in his life. He got God on his side and he got some men to help. He said in verse 8, Whosoever getteth up to the gutter and smiteth the Jebusites and the lame and the blind that are hated of David, he shall be chief and captain. He ushered a challenge. He said, which of you men out there are willing to show your bravery, your courage, your, your, your military prowess that you would go forward and come up by the way of the waterway, by the way which the water goes up and the water goes down? He's giving them a strategy how to attack them. He said, if you'll come up by the waterway, who is willing to give it, to risk his life to come up by the waterway there that goes in that city to conquer the city? And we know from another passage of scripture, that Joab was the man that did that. And Joab, of course, won the right, according to this verse of Scripture, to become general over all of David's army. But the, the key point I want you to understand, that David made a conquest here. David went there and he took the city. You see, David needed a capital. He needed a place whereby the kingdom would reside. And we know from that point on, Zion or Jerusalem would be where David would reside, would preside over all the area. And notice verse 9, So David dwelt in the fort and called it the city of David. And David built round about from Milo and Ed. David was conquering. The first thing he did as a, as a captain. The first thing he did as a, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a king. The first thing he did after all the kingdom came around, he had to find a location, a place where he would have his kingdom, where he would rule and he would have, have his jurisdiction. It was a strategic location. It was located on a hill. It was a strategic location where it would be very difficult for people to penetrate. And he had an envisionment of what God could do if Jerusalem or Zion would be his place. Great is the city of Jerusalem. You read about that over in Psalms chapter 48 there and other passages of scripture there and so david goes concrete and i'm just saying tonight as we go on in the christian life as jesus is lord of our life as jesus is in control we must recognize there may be strongholds in our life there may be sins that have control over us there may be situations that have control over us and we must recognize it affects our thinking it affects our spirit it affects our attitude and it may result in us constantly and repeatedly grieving the spirit of god we must we must come to a comprehension what are the strongholds that we have 
have in our life that need to be conquered. And I'm glad David, the very first thing he did was he conquered a stronghold that was before him. And I urge you tonight, maybe this evening, you're dealing, you're, you're dealing or struggling with some sin of the flesh or some temptation of the world or some weakness you've got in your life. And by the way, every Christian does. And we must come to God and recognize this evening, we need the, the King in our life, the, the Lord Jesus Christ, to help us in conquering that stronghold. But now we keep going on. Notice something else here. In verse 1 again, we see a consolidation. In verse 2, uh, two and 3, we see a confession. In verse 3, we see a coronation. In verses 6 to 9, we see conquering. Notice in verse 10, we see a confirmation. You notice something in verse 10, right in the middle of this passage. It says, David went on, that means he continued. David went on and he grew great, and the Lord God of hosts was with him. I like what we read there because as I read that passage of Scripture, I read about the fact that David David had the blessing of God upon his life. He had the confirmation of God. Now, thank the Lord, verses 1 and 2, he had the approval of men. That's, that's a good thing. He had the vote of all the men of Judah and the men of Israel. But more important than the vote of men, he had the vote of God. Amen? He had God's approval upon his life. And I'm just saying tonight, as we go out to the workforce tomorrow, we go out to go to school, we go out and do our work, let's make sure we have the approval of God in what we're doing. Let's make sure that God says, yes, I'm for what you're doing. And yes, you're, I'm in the right place where God wants me to be. And he had the approval of God upon his life. He went on and he grew great. And the Lord God of hosts was with him. This church planner here, Brother Medeiros, is going to go over to the island of Oahu. He wants more than anything else that God would help him fulfill the vision God put in his heart to get a church started. But more than that, once that church gets started, he wants to know that he's got God's approval on his life to get that church thriving and growing. He wants to be like David. He'll grow on and continue. And, the, and he'll be great in terms of building a work for God. He's not going there to build a work for his name. He's not going there to build a work for his glory. He's going there because he's representing Jesus Christ and building a church church for the glory of God. We thank God for that tonight. David had the confirmation. Now, go to verses 70 and 26. Here's where we get to the, the thrust of our message tonight. I gave you all that to now talk about where, where we're going. Notice in verses 70 and 26, we see David has some contenders. David is the blessing of God. is like things are going good. The kingdom is united. By the way, it's a good thing when the church is united. Okay? They've coronated him as king. They've made a transparent and truthful confession. David's taken these men, he's gone to the city of Zion and they've conquered it. Something that his forefathers should have done many years before, but he went in and conquered it and made it his base of operation there. David has the approval of God. Things are going really good. No problems. No tribulations. No storms until we get to verse 17. We get to verse 17 for the rest of the chapter. We find that the Philistines make their razor ugly head again. And they come back into David's life as contenders. And we read something very interesting here in verse 18 and in verse, let me see, or verse 22. The Philistines come to David on two separate unrelated occasions. Occasion number one says in verse 17, the Philistines heard that they anointed David king over Israel. Now, beloved, please listen to me tonight. A lot of people get on Facebook and they're interested in knowing how many followers they have. Or they get on Twitter and they want to know how many followers they have. Let me tell you the most important follower you better be concerned about tonight. The devil's following you wherever you're going to. 
The devil's following you in your victories. The devil's following you in your defeats. The devil's watching because he wants to see when we get really pompous and we get to, we get a little bit uh, conceited about ourselves, we forget that we might leave some crevices and some openings. Some windows might be open. Some doors might be cracked open. We may not think it's a problem. But listen, as far as the devil's concerned, it's a problem. And the Bible tells in verse 17, the Philistines heard they anointed David king over Israel. Now watch this. The Philistines did not want a united kingdom, just like the devil doesn't want a united church. The Philistines didn't want David on the throne because they already knew he had the approval of God in his life. They already had, had, had experienced the shame of David defeating one of their great heroes, Goliath. They didn't want that, and they knew before he got his kingdom growing and going, they needed to do something about them. So the Bible says all the Philistines, verse 17, came up to seek David, and David heard of it, and he went down to the hole. Now notice verse 18. The Philistines also came, and they spread themselves in the valley of Rephaim. Notice verse 18, verse 22. The Philistines spread themselves out in this large valley. Now you know this from previous times we preached. Valleys are always a representation of trials. Valleys always represent conflicts and challenges and trials in our life. And notice they're in the valley of Rephaim. Rephaim means the valley of the giants. This is a place where giants dwelled. This was a place where giants fought. They trace the Philistines traced the roots all the way back to the Canaanites. They were a nation of giants. They were tall men. They were big men. They, they, they were like Goliath. And we read about David having ongoing conflict with giants throughout his career, throughout his ministry. His first giant he faced was the giant Goliath. That would never be the last giant. We read about other giants later on in 2 Samuel. And he's in this valley refuge. And certainly there were Philistines there. There were giants. We're not told their names, but we know this valley of giants, this valley refuge. This is where giants went. This is where they would have great obstacles. And you notice here, the Philistines came in verse 18 and in verse, 20, in verse 22, the Philistines came up yet again. We will always have giants in our life. We're always going to be challenged by different giants. A giant is a situation that's bigger than you. A giant is a situation you don't have immediate solution. A giant is a situation you couldn't script an answer for. A giant is a situation that makes you cower in fear. A giant situation is a situation that makes you wonder, is God really going to work on my behalf? You're filled with fear, consternation, concern. The enemy wants to seat Jesus as king. The enemy wants you and me to fall. The enemies within your vision range give you the idea that there's no escape. The enemy is telling you you are a loser. The enemy is going to keep coming at you and for you. We find this valley giant, the Philistines, a large number of them. They spread themselves out throughout the valley refuge. I mean, there's a large, large number of them. They're, in the, they're, they're numbering in the thousands and maybe hundreds of thousands of Philistines there. And David saw that. He went down to the hole because he realized he needed to do something about that. David was facing contenders and I'm saying this more this evening. As we go on the Christian life, no matter how long we're saved, we're always going to have contenders. The devil is going to come back again and there'll be a new giant in our life, a new obstacle in our life, a new giant that faces us, that's going to intimidate us and taunt us and thwart us and through their voices will try to take us down. David was facing these contenders. So what did David do about that? Well, David had these contenders, but notice we see something such a blessing. Notice in verse 19 and verse 23, we've seen David a confidence. David had a faith confidence. David had a confidence in the Lord. And I love this because when the giants came, the, the, David didn't huddle up with his sarge, sergeants and captains and generals. He didn't huddle up and say, okay, let's count how many swords we've got and let's count how many slingshots we've got and let's count how many shields we've got and let's count how many spears we've got. He could have done that and maybe he already knew those numbers. He didn't do that. The very first thing David did, 
According to verse, verse, 18, verse uh, 19, the Bible says, And David inquired of the Lord. He's saying, Shall I go up to the Philistines? Wilt thou deliver them unto my hand? And again, in verse 22, it says that the, they, they assembled themselves in the valley of Rephaim. And in verse 23, When David inquired of the Lord. Now David, David could, he was still a young man. Maybe he's about 37 years old at this time. David's mind took him back, back in the sheep fields there at Bethlehem when he took care of his father's sheep. He was reminded of those times we had confrontations with bears and with, and with lions. And uh, David, David was a man of prayer. You read through the Psalms and you read about David's prayers all throughout the book of Psalms. David was a man who prayed. David knew how to get a hold of God. And David was tender enough in his heart. He was wise enough of his heart to go to God and ask God, God, what do you want me to do? Look again at verse 19. David inquired of the Lord, shall I go up to the Philistines while to deliver them into my hand? I appreciate what David's doing there. You see, David was asking God, God, what do you want me to do? He's saying, God, do I have your permission? He's asking God, what is your counsel on the matter? He's asking God, God, will you fight for me? He's asking God, would you give me permission? You know, I like that attitude because even though he'd been there, he'd been a warrior in fighting since the age of 16 and now he's 37, 21 years of fighting, he still was not so big that he didn't ask God for what to do. And I'm just saying tonight, are we asking God for permission? Are we asking God, what should I do? Are we asking God for his counsel? Are we saying, God, what do you want me? I mean, look how specific his question are. Shall I go up to the Philistines? Will thou deliver them in my hand? He wasn't assuming that the victory was his. He was asking God. And here's the thing. I think a lot of us, we have frustrations in our life and we have difficulties in the way and we get tripped up along the way because we pray and we think God's given us the green light when really we didn't give us the green light because the Bible says, order my steps in thy word and let not any iniquity have dominion over me. I think a lot of times we, we, we assume out of our own personal confidence that we've got the green light from God when we didn't even get a green light from the word of God. I'm just saying tonight, let's make sure that we're asking God what to do. Let's make sure we're asking God, do I have your permission? Let's make sure we're asking God, where should I be? What am I supposed to do or not do? We should be asking God, Lord, do you want me in this place? Or do you want me? Hey, by the way, missions conference is coming up. We should be just asking a simple question. Lord, do you want me on the mission field? Young people heard from Heartland Baptist Bible College today. We should be asking the question, young people. God, do you want me to go to Bible college? Parents, you heard from Brother Pearson. And he's a good man, a great man of God. And you ought to be asking the question. God, do you want my children to go to Bible college? I'm just saying tonight, he asked the Lord, what do you want me to do? And you know, the Christian life is not that difficult. And you boil it down to simplicity, we should be asking God, what do you want me to do? God, what is your strategy? God, what is your vision? God, what do you want me to do? What is it you don't want me to do? A lot of times people come to the office, they say, well, I want to talk to you about my career choice. I want to talk about this. I want to talk about that. They say, what, what counts do you give? I said, first of all is this. Why don't you ask God what doors he doesn't want you to go through? Why don't you ask God to close some doors? Why don't you ask God to just take your emotion out of it and just say, Lord, whatever you want me to do, I'll do. I'm just saying tonight, David had a confidence. He just knew God would never steer him wrong. He just knew that he got to have faith in God's plan. If God said, don't go, I don't think he would have gone. But God said, I want you to go. And he went ahead. And so David is just going, going with the flow with what God wants to do. But he's asking God. And listen, if you don't get anything out of tonight's message, can we just be sincere enough to say, Lord, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do, Lord? Had a situation happen this week, and a very explosive situation. And I got on the phone with one of the parties involved, and I, and I said, I said, well, what do you think God wants you to do? And after I got the answer and another message from the other party involved, I just thought, 
this thing's going to blow up. It's going to blow up. Because the simplicity of the matter is, they're neither of them are asking, God, what do you want me to do? And I want to just say this to you tonight. The devil puts these negative thoughts in our mind like, well, you know what? I should probably leave the church because people find out about me, so I ought to leave church. That is not the time to leave the church. You're not asking God what you should do. Or we'll say like this, something like this. Well, I think my parents are too hard. My parents are too this. They don't understand. I think I'm going to leave my family walk away. That is, you didn't ask God what to do. God doesn't lead you to leave your family. God doesn't lead you to leave your, your church. God doesn't lead you to lead your marriage. God doesn't leave you to lead you to leave your preacher. God doesn't lead you. God doesn't do all that. That's a work of the flesh. It's not God. So you notice something else here. We see David with these contenders. He has two different, separate, unrelated situations where the Philistines come to him. But notice our next point. This is important. The first time God tells David to go forth in verse 19, and he says, in verse 19, he says, I will doubtless, he says, go up, I will doubtless deliver the Philistines into thy hand. So he got a clear answer from God. He says, go, meet them head on. Without any doubt, you got the victory. And then he said, in verse 2020, David came to Baal, Perazim, and David smote them there. And he said, the Lord has broken forth upon my enemies before me as a breach of waters. Therefore, he called the name of that place Baal, Perazim, which means the God, God has broken forth from him. Now, he got a very clear message from God. He got a very monumental victory. I'm not even sure if he broke a sweat on the victory, to be honest with you, okay? But watch this now. David has the contenders. Now, don't miss this. I'm, I'm going somewhere tonight. David gets a clue from God. Because the first victory was very clear. God said, go up, fight with them. I will give them to your hand. It was very clear like that. He says, you're going to win. He says, you're going to take them by surprise. They don't know what's going to hit them. I want you to meet them head on. God gave him that victory. But the second time, God didn't work that way. Now, listen to me tonight. The second time, David asked the same question. But God did not answer him to do the, to approach it the same way. God had a different strategy in place. Now, I don't know if you've experienced this. I've experienced this in my life. I've noticed that sometimes when I go through difficulties and trials and situations way over my head, I've got a giant in my life, I realize that God never answers me the same way the second time. I realize that God doesn't do things the same way the second time or the third time. There's always a different way. And here's why. Let me tell you why. David prayed a prayer back in Psalms 19. This is for another message. That prayer said this. Keep back thy servant from presumptuous sins. Presumptuous sins are sins of pride. A sin of pride is where we have a confrontation, a giant that comes in our life. And here's what we're thinking. Well, you know what? I've got this precedent. God gave me this victory this way. That must be exactly how God's going to do again. David knew better than to presume upon God that God would give him that victory the same way. He knew better than to presume upon himself that he even had the victory. He wanted to make sure he had God's approval, God's blessing upon his life before he went on. And here's what happens. A lot of us, we get this confidence factor because we have in our mind how God did something ahead of time. So we think that's how God's going to do again. That may not be how God's going to do again. Now, bless his heart. Bless his soul. God said that God wants to do it that way. It's fine. But that may not be what God wants to do here. And so God gives David a clue. David's waiting to see what God wants to do. And God, the second time, gives him a different strategy. Notice the strategy in verse 23. David inquired of the Lord, and he said, The Lord said to him, Thou shalt not go up. Whoa, that's a different twist. First time he said, Meet him head on, but this time you're not going to go up. I got a different strategy, David. 
And he says to David this, he says, but fetch a compass behind them. What he means by that, he says, I want you to come through the backside. I want you to attack them from the backside because they're preparing. God knew better because God's the master strategist. God already knew that the Philistines would be ready for a head-on collision. And he said, I know they're going to be ready for it. That's not how I want you to defeat them. That's not how I want you to meet them. I want you to go behind them. I want you to circle around. I want you to encompass them from behind. And he says, I want you to come upon them. Notice this over against the mulberry trees. Now, the mulberry trees, there was an abundance of mulberry trees in that valley of refuge on the backside there. Uh, some people believe that these... Uh, Mulberry trees may have been balsam trees, which give off a thick substance like maple syrup and things of that nature there. And they were tall trees that had a lot of leaves and they were they were flourishing with leaves at that time. And there was a wind that was blowing during that time. And God, now David knew that area very well. He'd walked it many times. And God says, you're going to encompass them. You're going to go around them the second time. And he says, I want you to go behind them. And he said in verse 23, I want you to come up upon them over against the mulberry trees. And look at verse 24. And let it be when thou hearest the sound of a going and the tops of the mulberry trees, then thou shalt bestir thyself, for then shall the Lord go out before thee to smite the host of Philistines. God gave him a whole different strategy, completely different than the first time. God told him, I want you to go behind where the mulberry trees are, and then I want you to sit there. I want you to wait. And he says, when you hear the sound of a going in the mulberry trees. Now, the sound of a going, if you can capture that phrase for just a minute, is translated this way. It also means the sound of marching. It has the idea, which you find in Isaiah chapter 3, of how the women of Israel, they would wear these, these anklets around their ankles that were a, a form of jewelry. And when they walked, it would make this tinkling noise, a metallic noise, so you knew that a woman would enter into your presence. You read about that in Isaiah chapter 3. The sound of a going means you would hear the sound of people that would be marching, people that are walking. You'd hear the sound of a tinkling or a cankling along. And so David understood that phraseology. God was telling him, I want you to park yourself by the mulberry trees there, with all of your men. And he said, I just want you to wait there. And he said, you're going to wait until you hear the sound of the going in the mulberry trees. And what he was saying is, David, I want you to listen for the sound of the wind blowing through the trees. I want you to hear the sound as it blows through the trees. It's the sound of a going. It's going forward. It's the sound of marching. It's the sound of war. He says, I want you to listen very distinctly for the sound of a going. You see, in the Bible, there are important sounds you and I are to listen for. For instance, we are to listen for the sound of the trumpet. The trumpet symbolizes the distinct preaching of God's Word. You go over to Numbers chapter 10, and Moses was told to make two different kinds of trumpets. One for war, one for assembly. We're told in Isaiah 58 verse 1, Cry aloud, spare not, lift up thy voice like a trumpet, and show my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. I'm going to tell you tonight, preaching is a trumpet. We need to listen for the sound of preaching. We need to listen to the sound of the trumpet. Young people are going down there tomorrow, down to that camp, and three times a day, they're going to hear the sound of the trumpet. They're going to hear the preacher get up and the word of God's being preached. Brother Matthew talked about being at Silver State Christian Camp, and camp's a good thing for young people. Four times a day, he heard the trumpet call, amen? He heard the trumpet sounding. I'm just saying tonight, we need to listen for the trumpet. And don't get your Christian life to a place you despise preaching. Don't get yourself to a place that you get your, your focus on who's the personality that's come. I'll come to church if it's a Sam Davidson. Bless God for that or somebody like that. Listen, it doesn't matter who the messenger is because behind the messenger, more important, the messenger is the Spirit of God who's taking God's Word and embedding it into your heart and mind so that you can get something out of that message there. And so we need to listen to the sound of the trumpet. But there's a second trumpet. There's a second sound. We need to listen for the sound of the faithful witness. Look at First Thessalonians 1.8. 
1 Thessalonians 1.8, here's what Paul said to the church at Thessalonica. It was a word of commendation. He said about the church at Thessalonica, For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to God were to spread abroad, <clears throat> so that we not need to speak to you. The sounding out means the echoing of the gospel witness. It means literally the word echoing. It's used also in Ezekiel chapter 7 where the phrase is used, the sounds of the mountain. The sounds of the mountain where you read that in scripture talks about the echoing across the mountain. You ever done that? You ever been on a high precipice where you said, hello, and you can hear your voice go, hello, and hello, and it keeps going, that echoing sound. Well, what he's saying there, I'm, he was commending the church at Thessalonica. He said, listen, for from you sounded out or echoed the gospel witness. He said, you took a stand in Thessalonica. You started preaching the gospel. And from you, he says, from what you did there, God has blessed his, that witness, and the word of God is spreading out all over the world. He said, there are places we would have gone to to bring the gospel, but you did us a favor. From you sounded out or echoed out the gospel message, and because of that other people are blessed that's why we emphasize evangelism that's why we emphasize the preaching of the gospel that's why we want you to come to a so many marathon why because we want the gospel message to echo out throughout all of the bay area for god we need to listen for the shout the sound of the shout and the trump of god jesus is coming First Thessalonians 4.16 For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Listen, we're to listen for the sound of the trumpet. I'm not worried about the undertaker. I'm listening for the upper taker. Amen? We're listening for the sound of the trumpet, the voice of God. Listen, that voice says in Revelation 4.1 Come up hither. We want to be listening to those three distinct words of a king <clears throat> beckoning us to come in His presence. Come up hither. Come into the presence of God. We need to be listening for the sound of the trumpet and the shout of God. Hey, listen. When, when the church, which consisted of 120 disciples, 120 people that felt like they were forsaken, they assembled in an upper room for prayer. And while they were there, the day of Pentecost came, a 50-day celebration. And while they were there, listen, they were there on that day of Pentecost. And the Bible says they heard the sound of a, a, a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And the Holy Spirit of God came into their midst. And listen, tonight, they were to sit there and wait until they heard the sound of the coming. God gave David a clue for the second victory. God gave him a clue that would help him for the remainder of his monarchy as a king. He said, I want you to stand by there by those mulberry trees and listen for the sound of a going. So this and God gave him a some allowed some contenders in his life and God gave him a clue. But notice the sound of a going. God gave him a capability. Watch what happens here. When he heard the sound of a going in the tops of the mulberry trees, David would get something he could not humanly contrive or manufacture. When he would hear the sound of the goings of mulberry trees, the capability God was talking about there is the power of God at work in David's life. He was to wait and listen and wait and listen to the voice of the Spirit spoke and to the power of God came forth. This going, the sound of a going, the tops of the mulberry trees is a powerful picture of the importance of you and me waiting for God's Spirit to work in us. Listen tonight, we need the wind of the Spirit to blow in our church. We need the wind of the Spirit to blow in our souls, our dry and thirsty souls. Some of us, our souls are like a dry and thirsty land. We're like with that vision that Ezekiel had in Isaiah, in Ezekiel 37, where he said, he said, a valley of dry 
dry bones and they were very dry. And the Spirit of God came and breathed on those bones. We need the wind of the Spirit to fill our hearts with power. We need the wind of the Spirit to blow in our church services. We need the wind of the Spirit to blow right now. We need to be listening for the sound of a rushing mighty wind in our lives. We need the wind of the Spirit to win souls. And so there would be a great capability. Notice verse 24. And let it be when thou hearest the sound of a going in the tops of the mulberry trees. Then thou shalt bestir thyself, for then shall the Lord go out before thee to smite the host of Philistines. I like that, because God said, the first victory, I want you to meet them head on. The first victory, you're going to conquer them. Second victory, you're going to go behind them. You're going to circle behind them. They're not going to even know that you're there. You're hiding behind the mulberry trees. And then you're going to wait, you're going to be very quiet, and you're going to hear this blowing. You're going to hear this blowing like the sound of a marching. The sound of a going through the trees. You're going to hear this sound blowing through the trees. When you hear the sound of a going, he says there in verse 24, Then shall the Lord go up before thee to smite the host of Philistines. So notice verse 25. God represents him, and David goes forth, and the Lord is working his life. And notice, they smite the Philistines from Geba until they'll come to Gezer. Now picture this, if you would, with me tonight, how substantial this victory was. David goes out the valley referent. They're spread out. The Philistines are spread out there. He comes from behind them. They attacked him from behind because they heard the sound of the going, the blowing of the Spirit of God, the blowing of the wind upon that, that, that situation. They hear the sound of marching. And David and his forces come, and they're defeating the Philistines. The Bible says they smite them, and, they're running, and the Philistines are running from them. Watch this. The city there of Geba is, is a city 10 miles north of where, where Jerusalem was. And the city of Gezer was, 10, was 20 miles northwest. Can you imagine two different directions? 10 miles north, 20 miles northwest. That's how far back David and his forces are pushing the enemy away from them. Not only is he conquering them, he's pushing them far enough away they realize it's a sound defeat. David could not do that in his power. God could, David could not do that with his smaller army. The only way that could happen would be God's power and capability would be upon him. Do you understand tonight? We need God's power. We need the wind of the Spirit in our life. We're not, listen, we can only get so much done with strategization and human effort. We've got to have God's power on everything we do. The enemy was pushed back. Very far back. It was an extensive victory. It was an enormous victory. It was an emphatic victory. What a capability. I wonder tonight how many of us would be willing to follow God's instructions. Go on the backside of a desert somewhere. Go on the backside of somewhere nobody else is there. To listen for the sounds of the going in the mulberry tree. The wind is blowing. You're not going to make any movement until you hear the wind blowing through the trees. You hear the sound of marching. You get the sense, you hear the, the voice of God working your heart, telling you what you need to do next. And notice something else here. He heard the sound, and there was a capability, and there were the contenders, and there was a clue. But notice in verse 24, notice a command. <clears throat> he said, David, then thou shalt bestir thyself. This is not enough. It's not enough. We hear the sound of a going. When you hear the sound of a going, we better follow the command. 
He says, bestir thyself. You need to be moved to action. You need to make a decision. You need to recognize you've got to get stirred up. You've got to be decisive. You've got to be eager. You've got to be strenuous. You've got to be diligent. He says, listen, when you hear the sound of the going of the mulberry bridge, stir up yourself. No wonder when Timothy got all discouraged and intimidated about the situation at Ephesus, Paul had to write to him. He says, stir up the gift that is in thee, that was given thee by the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. Listen, there are going to be times we get intimidated and we get, and we get pushed back by things and the size of the Philistines the value of the giants discourages but we need to realize when we hear the sound of the going the mulberry bush we need to get stirred up in our heart and realize it's time for action it's time to serve when the spirit blows we need to go when the spirit calls we need to go forward when the spirit comes we need to be available when the spirit blows we need to go win souls I'm saying tonight we need to be listening and waiting for the spirit to blow so we can go be stir thyself I urge you tonight get stirred up for Jesus get stirred up about his gospel get stirred up about holiness. Get stirred about prayer. Get stirred about living for God. Get stirred about being an all-out church member. Get stirred about doing something. Don't be idle. Get involved. Don't sit around. Be stirred. David and his men had to sit still. They had to sit still and be still and know that he was God. But when they heard the sound, God said and gave them a command, stir up yourself. And I'm saying tonight, maybe we've been sitting too long. Maybe we've been questioned too long. Maybe we've been critical too long. Maybe we've been on the wrong side too long. It's time to get stirred up by the Lord and follow the Lord's command. Go forward when you hear the sound of the going in the mulberry bush. One last thing, we're done. We see consolidation. <clears throat> we see confession. We see coronation. We see a conquest. We see confirmation. We see his contenders. We see his confidence, a faith confidence. We see God giving him a clue. We see a capability. I want you to notice one last thing we're done tonight. I want you to see a concept tonight. One word underlines everything going in this chapter. That one word is determination. The men of Israel were determined David is going to be king. David was determined to conquer Jerusalem, to make it his capital. The Philistines were determined they were going to fight David. David was determined to seek the Lord. David was determined to pray. David was determined to get victory on God's terms, not his terms. David was determined to have faith in God. David was determined to burn the images. We read in verse 21, when they conquered the first time, they burned all the idols of the Philistines. He burned them up along the way. And then the Philistines came back again. David was determined to wait for the sound of the going in the mulberry bush. David was determined to wait till he heard the sound. David was determined to be stirred up in his faith. When he heard the sound, that meant, let's go to action. Let's go to war. Hey, listen, don't, 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 don't help me to just help me out here. When we, when we say, let's get going for God, let's do it the first time. Amen. Let's get stirred up and do it the first time. Let's not wait to be told two times, three times, and four times what to do. Let's do it the first time. We hear the call of God. Let's go out and do it right there. And he, and he was determined to get it done. David was determined to obey God. 
David was determined to live in victory, not defeat. David was determined to have the Spirit's power. David was determined to have the hand of God in his life. David was determined to be stirred and decides in what, he's, what he was doing. I'm just saying, as we look at all of chapter 5, all, one word underscores everything about David in this chapter. It's determination. Listen, determination is going to keep you in the business. Determination is going to keep you in the ministry. Determination is going to help you build the church. Determination is going to help you go forth for Christ. Determination is going to be how you get your prayers answered and souls get saved. I'm saying tonight, as we look at David, right here in chapter 5, what a pivotal moment in the kingdom of David. The kingdom is consolidated and David determined, the men with him determined, we're going to have determination for the Lord. As I close tonight, are you determined to listen for the sounds of the going in the mulberry trees? Are you determined to have God's power in your life? Are you determined to come alongside of us and say, let's build the church? Are you determined to say, I'll live for Jesus day by day? Are you determined to let nothing get in the way? Are you determined just to stay by the side there and say, okay, God, I'm going to wait and hear the sound of the going in the mulberry bush? Our choir sang tonight, I am determined. I was telling Pastor A.J., Pastor A.J. dislocated his shoulder this week, and I was telling him I was reading a story here that, about a football player who was born without one arm. And, uh, you know, you, you only get one arm, you, there's just limited some things you can do, at least what they say. And this kid grew up, he says, you don't want to play football. And he just was a big kid, you know, he was very burly, and uh, he worked hard at it. And, his, and he became a defensive back in high school, won a scholarship, went to a college in his state with that scholarship, played college football. And he became a defensive back of the year, and his team wound up going to a championship game. Unbeknownst to him, on another city, another town, there was another young man also that was born without an arm, believe this or not. He also decided he wanted to play football one day. And he decided that he was going to work hard. And he wound up being defensive back of the year as well there too. And it wound up being his team. Wound up being a team that won their championship. And that was the team that was going to meet the other team. And these two would have two defensive backs of the year. Both of them without one arm. And both of them, their work, they're basically with the coach taught both of them. They are unrelated. And taught them to do is that you're to look. And with that one arm, when you, see the, when you see the ball thrown, you're to raise your arm up and swat the ball down. And that's how he became defensive back there. He was known for both these guys for knocking the ball down. And both these men met in a championship game. And the biggest thing everybody got out of the game wasn't who won the game and how many points was the decision, all that. What they got out of the game was that they saw two defensive backs, two boys that were born without one arm, two boys who went on to conquer that disability, two boys that went on and decided, you know what, I'm not going to let this impair me. I'm still going to play football. I'm going to have a normal life. And they went on to become defensive backs a year. And they were known for their prowess and being able to knock down football. What everybody remembered out of that championship game were two boys who were determined in their heart they weren't going to let anything stop them. They were going to go forward and be the best that they could and represent their team. And I'm saying tonight, regardless of who you think you are, regardless of what we think we may be, let's just decide tonight to determine to represent Jesus Christ very well. Because we're like those two boys, we have our own impairments. We have our shortcomings. We need God's ability to help us as we wait by the sound of the going and the mulberry bush and hear the sounds tonight, that that capability is the only capability that will help us to get the job done. Are you listening for the sound? Are you determined? Would you have determination? And maybe tonight you're here and you're not certain you're going to heaven. I urge you tonight to determine your heart to realize you're a sinner on the way to hell.
and you need to be saved. Jesus died on the cross and shed his blood for you and offered to you the free gift of eternal life. I encourage you tonight, you're not 100% sure you're saved. I invite you tonight, come to Jesus. Put your faith and trust in him. Have a faith confidence in Christ that he alone can save you. Because the Bible says, for by grace are you saved through faith, but not of yourselves. How's your determination tonight? Are you determined? Are you determined to live for God? You determined to live, sit by the mulberry bush and listen for the sounds of a going? I urge you tonight, some of us need to stand aside and let God do the work and let God show us what he wants to do. Are we even asking God what we should be doing? Are we inquiring of the Lord? Or are we just going ahead and doing our own plans? Let's ask of God. Say, God, what do you want me to do tonight? And let's sit by the side there by the, and listen for the sounds of the going and the mulberry bush. And when we hear the sound, let's bestow ourselves and go forward. Let's follow the command of God and be determined we're going to keep going until God says to stop. Father, tonight, I pray that you just take just these simple devotions thoughts from 2 Samuel 5 and embedded in our hearts and realizing tonight that, Lord, there's a sound of a going in the mulberry bush is still available for us. And it might be just so basic tonight that some of our members are facing, they're, they're looking at the valley of giants. They're looking at the valley of Rephaim. There's some pretty big giants they're looking at. Unemployment, shortage of money, failing health, ruptures in relationships. Uncertainty about the future. Maybe tonight we need to just be determined. We're going to ask God, what do you want me to do, Lord? And maybe some of us tonight are struggling with our Christian life. We're not where we should be. And maybe it's time for us to come around the backside of the, of the mulberry trees. And listen for the sounds of a going. The sounds of marching. Maybe tonight as we think about the sound of the trump of God and the voice of the archangel, that we'd be stirred and motivated tonight to live because in such a way that we'd be found worthy of the Lord when He comes for us. Maybe tonight some of us who've never experienced the power of the Holy Spirit in our life in an active, ongoing way, we'd wait and listen for the sound of a rushing mighty wind in our soul. Maybe for some of us tonight who we feel like we're a valley of dry, dead bones, that the Spirit of God would breathe in our soul and breathe life back into us and breathe uh, enablement to us and help us, Lord, to have the breath of heaven upon our life. Help us not be content with zero results and zero productivity and fooling ourselves things are going on that really are not happening. God, help us this evening as a church to realize we need the breath of heaven upon our lives tonight, that capability that can only come from God. And then tonight, we need determination. It's so easy for us to quit. So for easy for us to Lord, throw in the rag and throw in the handkerchief. But tonight, I pray for a congregation of people that would be determined. And then this evening, someone here tonight may not be saved. They're not sure where they're going to spend eternity. I ask this evening that you'd move their heart. And out of humility, they'd call upon the Lord to save them. They'd say, I need to get saved tonight. I want Jesus, my Savior. As we give the invitation tonight, help us to come without pretension. Help us to come in humility. Because the Bible says we're to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God that He would exalt us in due time. Lord, we know from that verse we cannot have Your hand on our life if we're not humble. Lord, we humble ourselves before You with whatever the situation may be. We come to You tonight that You might have Your way. Use the invitation, not, Lord, to impress anyone, but, Lord, more importantly, that we do business with God. Help us tonight as we go this phase of the, of the service that, God, we would follow You. And just say tonight we can hear the Savior calling. Tonight as we give the invitation, save souls. 
Help us to obey you. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Let's stand, heads bowed and eyes closed. Pianist is playing. I can hear the Savior calling. Do you hear him tonight? Can you hear the sound of the going in the mulberry bush? Don't you think it's time we sit aside and get God's power in our life? Are you content with being dry and thirsty? Let's come tonight. Let's come with determination. Ask God, give me determination, Lord, that I need to have spiritual determination for my life. And maybe tonight you're not saved. You're not certain where you're going to spend eternity. Don't you think tonight will be the best time to put your faith and trust in Christ? Come tonight. One of our staff members and one of our deacons will be glad to take the Bible and show you how to get saved. Would you come tonight? We need to hear the sound of the going in the mulberry bush. Too often we try to fight our battles our way. We don't win the way God wants us to win. We need to listen for God. We need to ask God for His permission. It might be tonight some need to come and just say, Lord, do you want me to go to Bible college? Lord, you're working my heart. Do you want me to go to the mission field? There might be some man here tonight that God's put in your heart and you meet the qualification in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1 to say, Lord, I feel a sense that you're calling me to be a preacher of the Word of God. Would you be determined tonight to follow the Lord? Can you hear the Savior calling? Can you hear the sound of a going in the mulberry bush? Let's come tonight. Would you come? You're not sure you're saved tonight. We invite you to come to know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Come tonight. When several are here praying, I'm going to ask our guys back there if we could show the lyrics for the song. Let's sing that song. I can hear the Savior calling tonight. Let's sing that tonight. Let the Holy Spirit have His control and His way in our life. Let's listen for the sound of the going the mulberry bush. All together, if you would. I thank you for your people coming, assembling here, and everything that's transpired. Thank you for ratifying in the Kirkaby family and Mika Kimba. And thank you, Lord, for the special music we heard today. Thank you for our choir faithfully rehearsing, practicing, singing. And thank you today, Lord, for the hymns that were sung. And thank you, Lord, for the Word of God that's been preached and what we've studied. And, Lord, the uh, Lord, whatever way you've touched our hearts and spoken to us today, and maybe through uh, maybe the prayer of someone else, whatever it may be, we just pray, Father, that you'd have your way and help your people this week to have a victorious week in Christ and to live for the Lord. And we lift up before you again, Brother uh, brother uh, Fillmore's father, Danny, that, Lord, in his time of crisis right now, that you would uh, give this man good health and strength and bring him out of this place of all the paralysis and side effects of a stroke and the medication he's in. And, God, we pray that you show yourself mighty strong for this family. And they'd even see tonight that, Lord, a great change in his physical condition that will be for your glory. Help tonight for some maybe facing this valley of giants, they're facing their own valley of Rephim, that they'd see that the conquering is just by trusting God, by having faith in the Lord. And help us tonight to take the simple thought as David was told to listen for the sound of the goings in the mulberry bush, that, Lord, we'd listen and wait for the moving of the Spirit, the moving of the wind of God in our life. Please blow into our souls. God, help us tonight to recognize the great need of having a replenishment in our hearts, a revival in our hearts and living for Christ. Lord, bless this week for your people. Help us have a very fruitful week. Bless our teen camp this week. And Brother Millers will be preaching to all the teenagers. And help our teenagers especially to have a very sensitive heart and spirit and receive the engrafted word which is able to save souls. Father, lift the burdens that are present here tonight and needs and concerns our church members have. May they go forth tonight knowing and sensing, God, you're there for them. And God, you'll never leave them nor forsake them. And may God, you answer prayer and work in our lives. Father, if we go our separate ways, protect us, get us home safely, we pray. And we'll thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.